This episode is brought to you by Citywide, the very first Zero Waste movie. Citywide is the story of one woman's wild night out in Philadelphia. Available exclusively on Vimeo. Go to citywidemovie.com for details. Hello, and welcome to StumbleUpon. I'm Austin. And I'm Emily. Today we are discussing The Fog, directed by John Carpenter. As always, there is going to be plenty of fucking spoilers. But if that doesn't scare you, the past ought to. So grab a hitchhiker, turn on the radio, and get ready to fight the skeletons in your closet. Doing a little bit of research on the film, I found that it was very well loved by the public, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't very well received by critics. Really? Like, it was, maybe it was moderately well received. It was... Uh, most reviewers gave it like a really hard C. And yet the public was like, wrong, we love it. Like, We're all about the C and so are the people who uh, are coming back from the grave. I'll be here for the next 40 minutes. God damn you. I I really wish we didn't have those buttons. We never use them. Uh, For good reason. (laughs) Fuck off. All right, so some of the reviews are like this. Uh, This is uh, part of the New York Daily News. Carpenter obviously is entranced by ghost stories, but he seems willing to sacrifice story for effect. Or or from the Los Angeles Times, an elegant and scary thriller of the supernatural that's far, far more impressive and satisfying than Carpenter's grisly and pointless Halloween. Like, whoa, like, why were you digging on something in the past? Like, wow, just just Halloween out here going, taking, I'm just taking shots. What, like, what the, the fuck? shit? Uh, uh, the New York Times described it as ni- neither a rewarding ghost story nor science fiction, though it borrows freely from both genres, unlike Halloween, which was a model of straightforward terror and carefully controlled suspense. Wow, we really have two different vibes, eh? It goes on. The fog is constructed of random diversions. There are too many storylines, which necessitate so much cross-cutting that no one sequence can ever build to a decent climax. Whoa. And Roger Ebert, in his two-star two review, said, This isn't a great movie, but it does show great promise from Carpenter. Got the ego behind yeah. these. It, it It is almost like critics have are really just failed professors. <laughs> critics. We're failed professors, yeah. not failed filmmakers. They don't even get to do that part. Yeah, like, That's pretty funny. Like, I can't teach anybody anything, but I can tell people what it's wrong with it. You're like, I okay, mean, so you're not actually helping educate. You're not doing the hard work of interacting with the person. Because in this case, Carpenter didn't go to Roger Ebert's class and say, hey, what did you think, man? And he's like, well, these are my thoughts. He's like, oh, well, I'm really glad you think I have promise. Now, fuck right off. Like, he didn't, he didn't ask for this. Right? It's like... Like uh, professors who have like gumption to be just dicks to everyone in the world. Well, it's like the beginning of the Hong Sang Soo film I was watching last night, where the professor is just screaming at his student as she's sitting there and berating her for the art she's made mm-hmm. and telling her she can't do it that way. And it was really hard to watch because it's like, what a what right have you to talk to your student this way to be screaming at her? Mm-hmm. Not to mention that this is her creation. It's really irrelevant how you feel about it. I know as a professor, you're supposed to be helping them pull out the best story they're trying to tell. You're trying to guide them. But it is also so subjective. Yeah. 
how you feel about it. Same as critics. It's the same thing. It's subjective. Somebody loves Halloween, the next person hates it. Mm-hmm. Somebody loves this film, the next person hates it. It's mm-hmm. just, who cares? I guess you try to find the critic that sort of aligns with how you vibe and then you kind of read what they do. Or better yet, you just go watch films and you make your own goddamn decisions. Yeah, you, you, you don't let thoughts become the thing that dictate you. You let dreams become the thing that you follow or chase. Yeah. yeah, like people, everybody's thoughts, the, it seems like, and you could use this podcast as a perfect example, is everybody's like attitude is, I want to convince you why my thought is the right thought. Mm. Like everybody has totalitarian thoughts on a, like a basic low key level. Sure. We're, we're like, no, no, I'm going to convince opinion. you. My opinion's right. Whereas it's like, no, 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 these are just thoughts, mm-hmm. no matter how passionate i get about it these thoughts don't mean fucking shit they don't mean anything and and that's what i like about what we're trying to do here with stumble upon is just bring energy to the different films where we enjoy and we're not just picking everything we love although we just love the form of of cinema we love the medium yeah and so we're always trying to showcase why somebody be making the choices they're making we're Mm -hmm. assuming the filmmakers know where they're coming from and have made a decision mm-hmm. and everybody's on board with that idea yep. and it works sometimes for us. It doesn't work for other times, but we're just trying to bring energy because there's too many critics in the world that just want to shit on you mm-hmm. without providing anything. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about the fog. Yeah. And, and one last little caveat mm. when we're talking about professors, we, like it includes everyone except for, you know, Danish professors. Mm. If you happen to be a professor in, in Copenhagen, in Denmark, yes, and you are listening to this, this chances that, are we think you're rad. Yep, chances are. Chances are we think you're amazing and we want to actually chat with you a little bit more, maybe come visit, you know, hang out if you happen to be a professor in Copenhagen. Yeah, but or somewhere in Denmark in general. Uh, we're just, you know, whatever. You yeah, know, but only if you fit that specific uh, criteria. Hi, Erica. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the fog. Uh Quick review of The Fog before we jump into everything else. This is, again, from the incredible source that is IMDb and their incredible synopsis writing team, which is either random fuckers or somebody who uh, doesn't seem to give a shit. Uh, Here we go. You sold that. Oh, I just fucking love it because I'm like, I don't know what the film's about. It's so random, their stuff. Here you go. The Fog. An unearthly fog rolls into a small coastal town exactly 100 years after a ship mysteriously sank in its waters. Fuck off! Mysteriously sank in its waters? I mean, they're pretty specific about why it sunk. Yes. Like, like, that is real. You know what? That was the best review I ever heard. Yeah. No, it's not a review. It's a synopsis. I mean, well, you said review first, so you're right. It's my fault. Yeah. It's also my fault. It's our vault. It's my fault for trusting you not to trust me when I'm speaking poorly. <laughs> then I will say, that was the best synopsis I think I've ever heard. It is the best synopsis. That person went to the vague writing school of vagary. Maybe like, <laughs> vagary. Maybe that's AI. Yeah. You know how AI is taking over writing? Yeah. There you go. That's yeah. a synopsis written by AI. No, no. Don't don't let AI take our vague writing abilities away from us. This let us be human vague. generated, human generated shit. Yeah, the, we can be terrible without the help of computers. We don't need to be better. Good. Uh, welcome to Stumble Upon, where we have nonsense. <laughs> Sitting on the third floor, tucking shit, eating donuts. Fighting my cat. Fighting my cat. Don't bite me. I guess maybe a good place to start with this film is 
where did you, how long ago did you first come across John Carpenter for yourself? Do you remember when? Uh, I think when we watched The Fog. The Fog. It, or maybe it was Halloween. Yeah. I didn't see it before you showed it to me, and it's only been in the last two years. Yeah. I remember watching a ton of John Carpenter when I was in college, like my freshman and sophomore years. Like I watched a shit ton of his films. And I just, like I was always, I was drawn to him, like drawn to this section of his films, his early films of Halloween, The Fog, Christine, The Thing, Escape from New York, uh, that era of films. Because like not only is there an incredible narrative thrust that happens in the films like it's they're so streamlined and so like propulsive in their energy but also like I was really I admired a lot this idea that the villains of these films were villains that you couldn't talk to you couldn't reason with there was no there was no element of like rational human thought like, Mike Myers is just a killing machine. The fog is a fog. Christine is a car. The thing is an organism that nobody understands. And Escape from New York is you're, you're basically watching somebody try to fight against society. And none of those things are really rational concepts that, that you can have a conversation with and, and change their mind. And I think that at the time that I was watching them in my, you know, late teens, early 20s, there's, there was an element of looking at the wide world and going, well, there's a whole shit ton out here that I have no control over. And no matter what I say or what I try to do, I can't really make any noticeable difference. And I found a kinship between his films and the feeling that I was having while looking at the world. I changed my answer. Okay. I saw Christine in high school. Ah. And I saw The Thing forever ago. I can't remember. But I always equate John Carpenter with Halloween mm -hmm. and now The Fog. And I f didn't realize. I mean, I did, but I didn't remember that he directed those films. Yeah. It must have been high school when I first saw Christine. I don't remember it in detail when it was or anything. Mm -hmm. It probably would have been when we were in Vancouver. But... I do remember how unsettled it made me, um, how scared I was of that style car uh -huh. moving forward. And I really liked the feeling of unsettled, unsettlement, mm -hmm. not a term, but just the way it was able to throw you off kilter. Yeah. Uh, it was such an interesting film for me in such early days because I didn't have much experience. I hardly had any experience with horror, hardly any experience with action with anything really that wasn't you know the standard rom-com yeah of my of my family of origin what we like to watch and so it was it was new i don't know where i saw it. i don't know who i saw it with i don't remember any of that i just remember the car yeah it just became part of your vernacular or yeah. your, your experience yes and i remember the actor um the lead actor in it is from another film that i knew pretty well as a kid mm -hmm. I'm just going to look up who that is. Yeah. He was also, he's also in a couple of De Palma films. I know. I believe he turned into a director as well. Turned into like a vampire, like turned into a, a bat. Is that how that works? Yeah. Instead of became or uh, evolved or whatever. Yeah. Wait, what is he from? He's from something. Oh, he is probably from, uh, he was the 
grandson or the son in Back to School okay. with Rodney, Rodney Dangerfield. Dangerfield. Mm-hmm. So that's probably why I saw Christine because I loved that movie as you a do, kid. You do have a type, like that Rick Moranis type. <laughs> I wait. Well, super Rick Moranis nerd. is super cute. But I don't know super, what you're talking about. Super dorky with glasses. Yeah, no, like, it is a thing. Yeah, it is a thing I like. I don't know. Maybe she look in the mirror. No, I, I refuse. <laughs> that's why I saw it because he was in it, and yeah. I liked. I didn't like him. Like him, I just liked the character it's okay i didn't have a crush on this guy (laughs) it's okay i did it though it doesn't matter (laughs) but it did it It wasn't true it's not true don't print that no well you get to print it or not rick moranis yes (laughs) bob costas yes Mm -hmm. willing to admit my preferences the niche that i fell into (laughs) oddly you're very tall so it doesn't really fit my well Shtick. You know, you, you get two out of three, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Nerdy with glasses. Yeah. I mean, look, I don't know what there is not to love about Rick Moranis. You right. got your strange brew. Mm-hmm. Okay. End of conversation. You have your streets of fire. Streets of fire. You have Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Little Shop of Horrors. Little Shop of Horrors. This is classic. Yeah. And we don't even need to mention the other one. What's the other one? Ghostbusters. Oh, right. That didn't really work for me. Well, maybe because he ended up with somebody like who was exactly like him. You know, like you needed some needed him not to end up. Doesn't so you could he still end up hope. with uh, what's her name? Who? Audrey? Not Audrey. The other one. In, in Ghostbusters. Yeah. He no. He ends up with uh, Annie Potts. Oh, he does. Yeah. I thought he ended up with uh, what's her name, the uh, Ripley. No. Uh, Bill Murray ends up with Ripley. We're gonna cut all this because this is embarrassing. <laughs> I don't remember. It's okay. I just remember Slimer. That is is an incredible Slimer. Isn't it? (laughs) Yes. Is it the hand motions? Is it the little jiggly? The the best is the hand motions in a audio format. (laughs) Yes. For our listeners here, I am shaking my hands next to my face. Yeah. And being Slimer, I am wearing a green sweater. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so yes, you are doing your best Slimer. Let's circle back to Strange Brew. Okay. And what a great film it is. Should we circle back even further to The Fog? No. We're going to stick on Strange Brew for the rest of this episode. You're <laughs> welcome, everybody. It's a Canadian classic. Chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. So, The Fog. Yes. I discovered John Carpenter in high school without knowing that I did because I didn't know much about film at the time. And really liked it. Even though I believe that almost all of those films of his beginning in the early part of his career, and it may have been all the way through, were John Carpenter's The Fog, John Carpenter's Escape from New York. Are but, you suggesting that I wasn't very observant? No, I'm. I, I'm. I'm. Plain, Teenage Emily. I'm plainly saying it. Why did you not observant? Why did you like qualify it as teenage? Well, I saw it when I was a high schooler. <laughs> right, but you have not become teenage. more observant. And like, well, that may be true. It may be true. Anyway, uh, so the fog, like, it's interesting. Like, as I was saying, like, I think that one of the things that drew me to him when I was younger was like this propulsive narrative and this sense of disenchantment that there there is with that comes along with not with understanding that you can't change the world that's around you or or argue with you. Now, watching it much later in life, I, I find that th- some of the things that I really, really love about the film are the things that don't make sense or don't necessarily work as well 
in that propulsive narrative that I once believed was the key to enjoyment for his work. And I think that that comes from a lot of different places for me and something that like that ties Carpenter to what ties Carpenter and his work to like why this sort of cinema is interesting to me. It ties him to this greater cinematic narrative because there's elements to his film that are just kind of playful and don't like that you can that you can kind of explore and find reason and meaning to for yourself that works within the narrative but doesn't need to be explained. What you're suggesting is that there's sort of an openness to his cinema. Yeah. That is you could one could argue is full of holes someone else could argue is room to use your own imagination to fill in. Yeah, and 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 let me be let me condense that a little bit more here for a second. There are elements of this film that that seem like they kind of pop up like uh, like weeds in the in, in a sidewalk. Like so, the film's basic narrative is that a town was founded a hundred years ago. They're having a celebration for its hundred year anniversary, and they discover, or certain members of the township discover, that the town was founded on the backs of killing a whole bunch of lepers, drowning them in a shipwreck, and them then stealing their gold and building a bigger church and creating the the township in which they now live. Mm -hmm. Using the money from the shipwreck to fund the town. And they are punished in this film by a fog that carries a whole bunch of angry leper ghosts Mm -hmm. who are here to reclaim their treasure as well as take six lives Mm -hmm. for the for the six conspirators who plan their demise and and that's the basic plot of it like yeah it's pretty straightforward yeah there there are characters in it jamie lee curtis is in it a whole bunch of other actors are in it uh janet lee hal holbrook a whole bunch of wonderful actors that's really like the premise these people are chased by a fog which again, sounds really dumb, but isn't. Yeah, it sounds really dumb. You're like, well, why don't you get away from the fog? I mean, you could go somewhere there isn't any fog, but like that's like obviously not what the point of this film is. And every film has constructs, and constructions are, are how you build any script in general, just to to figure out how to make characters play within the confines of this uh, of this structure. And I think that one thing that interests me about this film is how much those characters, while being chased by the fog, get a lot of space to show who they are throughout the process of the film. Like, without it being simply confined to a a chase-and-run type of film or a slasher film that was starting to become really, really popular at the time. What you're suggesting is, what's interesting about this film is... We get to know the characters, and then the fog rolls in. Even though it is starts, the beginning of the film starts with it turning midnight, mm-hmm. and the town starting to shake and shimmy and do all kinds of crazy things. But even before then, the film starts with a ghost story. That's true. We get we told what's about to happen. Yeah, like the film, like the film, like the film's construction is it starts with a ghost story, and then it ends abruptly. Like, it does end very abruptly in a really fun way. Yeah. And so I think that I think the film does a really interesting job of managing expectations with that because 
we're watching a film that has a like that lays out more or less the history plot like it does an exposition dump Mm -hmm. at the very beginning of the film around a fire and around a fire and and like uses all the kind of tricks and trades that we that we equate to like ghost stories to start off the film i think what makes this film work so well is its location yeah i think the key to this film working is that it's the whole concept of the nature the the surroundings the natural surroundings you buy into because it's look at those trees as she's driving up to go to her lighthouse Mm -hmm. they're in one direction they go one direction because the wind yeah and you think about how hard it is actually to live on this coastline Mm -hmm. and we were just in oregon and the oregon coast and it's winter and it was brisk and windy and rainy and all kinds of elements and it is challenging yeah. To walk around in that kind of weather and to survive the winter in that kind of weather. And so I love that that's the placement along the coast of California so that you get a sense of the, the natural elements are going to be working against you. So you buy in that the fog could be problematic, that people are going to take it seriously. Whereas if you place it in downtown Philly, everybody's going to be like, fog, like whatevs, who cares? Right. But <laughs> doesn't it, work. It's also funny that you bring that up because... That opening scene, the opening uh, ghost story, shot on a soundstage. Oh, was it? Yeah, like it, like all the indoor scenes are shot on a soundstage, and it it really proves the point of how good a location can be to carry out how much atmosphere there is, because like all those scenes that are inside are soundstage. All the stuff that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It, it, but like when you're watching the film, it doesn't really like the magic of the cinema takes you to the place that you think you are because the location seems so well lived in. Mm -hmm. Like the bar seems so well lived in that they're at while the, the the town is celebrating the hundred years, Mm -hmm. the the church, well well staged, well designed. The church seems lived in the, Mm -hmm. the lighthouse seems lived in. The lighthouse is awesome. And there's so much like, there's so much. Did they not shoot the lighthouse on location? I think they shot the light, lighthouse, but they shot the inside uh, on a set. Which, of course, makes sense because she's climbing on top of it. And, yep. and Okay, that makes sense. But still, it felt like we were at the lighthouse. And I was like, I want a radio station on the lighthouse on the coast. Mm-hmm. I want that to be my life. Yeah, you could probably find it in Maine. Oh, hello, Maine. We're coming. Uh, <laughs> new life. Ooh. <gasps> we can make the fog too. Maine version. The, the fogging. The fogging. <laughs> the fogging reckoning take two east coast edition so we were talking a little bit about the narrative or i was talking a little bit about the narrative and how there are parts that don't make sense and what i wanted to get at with that is the beginning of the film starts as as we said with this this ghost story and then it cuts to the town and all these weird fucking things start happening like uh a convenience store starts shaking th- things fall off the ground the person who the the grossest person in the movie who drinks from a uh the orange juice and then he puts it back yeah puts it back for somebody else to buy Uh, the gas station pump falls over like all the cars start honking and yet there's nary a fog to be seen during this part Mm -hmm. and so you could argue that this is incongruous with the scene and structure of the film because these things are happening outside of the fog and if the fog is the the uh 
the catalyst, the 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 inciting incident, then uh, then these things don't make sense. But you could also argue that the inciting incident is the trauma from a hundred years ago. And I think that this gets into one of the other things that we were interested in when we were talking about this film is how this film exists in this folk horror realm mm-hmm. and how, like, I think that like from my experience of watching films, there aren't a ton of American folk horror. Mm-mm. Like it's a, it's a tradition of horror that is more prominent in European and Asian cinemas, mm-hmm. cinemas of world cinemas in general and, and not American cinema, mm-hmm. not U S American cinema. And so it feels to me like this is an incredible like film of American folk horror because a lot of the folk horror that I have been interested in in American cinema is folk horror that deals with how we haven't dealt with our past. Which this fits right into. Yeah. Like that the past that we continue to shove down continues to rise up. I think that it's one of the reasons that that originally, like, zombie films took off here in America. Mm-hmm. Like, zombie films have a tradition in all in all cultures as well. But in America, like, with George Romero's work, like, these zombies don't have, a, we don't have a real good explanation of why they are coming back from the dead. But the dead are coming back to reclaim something from the living. Right, because of the incredible amount of trauma that the colonizers inflicted upon North America. Right. And, and that whether like, it be indigenous or mm. black culture or all the different ways that we decide that we white people get to do whatever we want, regardless of other people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially if we just view uh, zombies as the past and that the past is coming back, mm-hmm. like all these sorts of metaphors, these things that we haven't, actually dealt with these traumas that we tried to bury in the earth i think that's why i'm obsessed with folk horror right now um it's a genre both in novels and in film that i'm really interested in because the reckoning of our past is happening right now with the climate crisis Mm -hmm. the way we have been treating the earth it's coming back to bite us yep and that's just a fact yeah so i am interested in this art form Mm-hmm. I want to explore more of it and get to know a hell of a lot more because it's just what I want to be making moving forward is a lot more folk horror because I just feel like I don't know how else to to deal with in my own mind what we're existing through and what we're going to be existing through. It's sort of like a bomb. Yeah. Well, it, it, if you extrapolate it out to kind of our real world scenario right now, we are going to be dealing with somebody cashing in the chips of what we have, what we've uh, been paying for. Mm-hmm. Like somebody's going to be asking for the receipts now. And that's, yeah. and that somebody is obviously the earth that we, that we live on mm-hmm. and how that's going to change how we're able to continue to live because we just haven't, we haven't dealt with the pain and suffering that we've caused to this world. And this, the world will be fine without us and it will just, push us to the side if we continue on this path it is interesting and that's exactly what happens in the fog it's the reckoning it's a two generations later Mm -hmm. they're back and they're ready to take what they believe they're owed the ghosts i think it's actually quite generous that they only want six people right it is because a whole lot more lepers died than six right but even that there's echoes of others that have died like they talk about this 
there's the the morgue attendant who's like remember those kids that went diving looking for the boat and they were down for a week and this oh, guy yeah. looks worse than that so obviously the lepers have the the like ghosts grabbing. have been living in the bottom of the ocean waiting for waiting for a fog or something to bring them back interesting and so like w- what it all ties into is for me is that this town like this specific place has a reckoning coming and that's why all these things that like the township going crazy the night before for an hour and the lepers getting their first chance for an hour between midnight and one which is when according to the film the uh the slaughter took place no the conspirators met the night before oh right and then the next day they come back in full force because that's the day that they were shipwrecked. That's, and that was the, they just set the fire and misdirected the boat to yes. shipwreck on the rocks. Yeah, they, they they set a fire, basically, like because they were on a boat and trying to go from an island to the land where they had struck a deal with the church. Again, the church. Never Don't trust could, it. Never trust it. Don't trust it. They're fucking awful. No. But, uh, so they had struck this deal with the, the priest who, uh, and the, the heads of the town to, to land and f- form their colony a mile away on land. But the, the church was not comfortable with these people's lives or their lifestyle or their mm-hmm. life needs. And mm-hmm. so they set a trap by putting a fire on some rocks to bring the boat, which needed the fire to, uh, to guide them, much like a lighthouse, to the right place. Mm-hmm. But instead they were brought to death. Yeah. Oh, the church... Mm-hmm. You are sneaky. You are very You're sneaky. You're sneaky at killing a lot of people. And it's it's interesting because like I think about when I think about folk horror in America, for whatever fucking reason, I think of uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne and the Scarlet Letter or mm-hmm. that era of America in, in in like Concord or like Massachusetts witch yeah. the witch trials Salem. Right. And and yet the films that I think of that are most representative of representative of folk horror in America to me are all coastal films mm-hmm. like Dead and Buried or Messiah of Evil or The Fog. Eyes on Fire is in the middle of the forest somewhere, probably Virginia. Yeah, I'm not sure where Eyes on Fire takes place. It feels Virginia y. That's a good example. And I, I, I can think of some of the A24 films that have come, like Midsommar and, and The Witch, which, ha, uh, are, <laughs> are kind of. They're folk horror They feel like they're dealing with something else. There's something about what these characters are going through in the way that they're going through it that fascinates me because there's about an hour before the fog really rolls in and comes after them. Mm-hmm. And so they're not being chased. So we're not, we're not learning about them through the trauma that they're, uh, they're having happen to them. We learn about them, and then we get to see them try to, uh, try to do something. Mm-hmm. Whereas films like... Films today, like It Follows, mm-hmm. the inciting incident happens at the very beginning, and we don't know anything really about our lead. And we just learn everything about her and her friends based on the trauma that has already t- taken place. Mm-hmm. So trauma is in a different kind of location for how it infects or affects the cast or the, the actors or the characters. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, absolutely. And we talked about this uh, we audit classes at Princeton every once in a while, and we got to study under Professor Ben Dixon, really interesting professor of English literature. He talked a lot about how literature changed after 
mm-hmm. and how his Superman, um, you know, he's an old white guy, uh, his Superman like saved the planet and was caring about humans and our Superman is traumatized and and what else was he saying about him? Yeah, just, it, just that the, there's such a different story structure now since 9-11 that yeah. we are, we exist in trauma. Everyone is existing in trauma. Mm-hmm. And before 9-11, there was, there was space before the trauma would hit. Yeah. Well, his, his Superman was somebody who didn't let the world's uh, issues affect him or how good he was going to try to be. And, and of course, this is an old white man talking. Mm-hmm. So like, Take that with a fucking grain of salt. Yeah. Like, but the idea still plays. Like, and now our Superman, like, trauma affects him. Like, he's going to kill thousands of people to fight one person. Mm-hmm. Whereas the old Superman, the, the past generation Superman, was going to try to save everybody so that nobody had to, no one had to suffer. And that's what made him super, was, was that. And, and what we... Like what his point was is on nine eleven the the inflection point changed because we now knew that no one was going to save us mm-hmm. and that's just an American point of view yes. because like f- for some fucking reason we didn't realize that the rest of the world was bo- was being traumatized by by these issues for thousands of years mostly incurred by us uh, or, or, or or colonizers like us mm-hmm. so like it's just it's. Like the I'm ideal, the ideal of it is, or the idea of it is, is different now. Which is what, going back to what you said about it, it follows, it starts off with the trauma mm-hmm. and then we meet the characters. Yeah. In the fog, we meet the characters for a while and then the trauma rolls in. And this is not for me to say that one is better than the other. It's no. just like when you have too much of one and it becomes the only way we're dealing and processing through it, it becomes so apparent that everyone has to like like it becomes it becomes a trope and it becomes kind of boring. It does become boring. It and so it's good to point out to say, hey, if you're writing film right now and you want to write horror, you want to write slasher, mm-hmm. give give some space to your characters. Write something a little different. Yeah. Don't just start right out the gate with everyone dying. Ask some questions, you know, like what how can you slow it down? How can you put it in a different place? Mm-hmm. I think that's a really interesting question because you're right. There's something as we were talking about in previous episodes, the Marvel Realization of mm-hmm. cinema these days is just it's getting too rote yeah it's becoming monolithic it's it's just getting boring mm-hmm. we're because we're icing out all the super indie art and we're icing out the middle indie art like it's not really indie but it's mm-hmm. middle budget we're losing texture yeah and we're losing variety of stories there's a diversity lack mm-hmm. it, and we were watching uh, Gang of Four, this film by Jacques Rivette. So good. Uh, shortly after we watched The Fog. Uh, and like Gang of Four is about as far from The Fog as you could be. Mm. Like it's just a, it's it's slow cinema. It's incredibly character driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, the plot that I could describe to you uh, probably wouldn't interest you. Like yeah. it, it, there's a good chance that you'd be like, uh, that sounds like a lot. But it's an incredible piece because there's just so much happening between everybody. And it's Mm -hmm. what, like, when people say, well, the the characters feel lived in. This is what, this is what they mean, watching a film like Gang of Four. Oh, man. And the reason that I bring this up in the context of of The Fog is that the characters are allowed to kind of have their own lives. Mm -hmm. And that we then 
interact with them mm-hmm. or watch them have their own lives while whatever story is happening happens. And mm-hmm. I think that one of the things that Carpenter does really well in The Fog is have characters who are having lives. Mm-hmm. There's uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's character who's hitchhiking. Yeah. She's having a life. She's on an exploration to figure out who she wants to be yeah. on her way to Vancouver, an yeah. excellent city, and she should definitely go there. Right. Uh, and the, the, the radio DJ whose husband is gone and they give just a little bit of sense that maybe the husband is dead. Yeah, but I it's get the sense because the picture, the portrait we see of the three of yeah, them. Yeah, we see like three portraits of them and then uh, a newspaper clipping that says a new person has bought the radio station. Mm-hmm. And uh, Stevie, and, our main and, character. And, and and Stevie and her kid. And then we have Janet Lee, who is the, the, the head of the 100-year uh, commission. Mm-hmm. And her assistant, who are doing their own things mm-hmm. as they're setting up for the the hundred year event. I love the assistant. She's so funny. Yeah, she's like, I think her name. I think her name is Nancy Loomis. Like, she's fucking awesome. She's I, just funny. She's fucking awesome. Uh, and then we have uh, Hal Holbrook as the the. The priest. the priest and he has his own thing going on and so like while the fog happens in this town everybody's everybody comes to it based on their own kind of world mm-hmm. like the climatologist what's his fucking name uh dan is yeah. his name dan whatever he is like the weather guy yeah the weather guy he's just he's just kind of hanging out trying to hit on stevie yeah i mean there aren't a lot of people in that town. Right. And she has a great voice. She does. She's also beautiful, but that's irrelevant. Yeah. She, I could see why. Yeah, of course. And it was great. I, I don't blame him at all. And so these people get to live in this town. They have things that they're doing rather than just like reacting to this event that is happening. Mm-hmm. And I really just, I really just admire that aspect of the film. The depth of the characters. While there isn't a whole lot of time spent, mm-hmm. we get enough to find them all interesting in their own way. Yeah, it's for a film that's like eighty-seven minutes yeah, it's or really so short. Like it's there's so much packed into each one of the characters and what they're trying to do, and how they're trying to survive this event mm-hmm. that you really do get to you do get to know them or at least know what they're capable of. Yeah, this is a twenty-four hour film. Yeah. Right? It's just 24 hours. It starts at midnight the night before and ends at like one, one the following day. So yeah. 25 hours. Right. I like that. I like the condensedness of that. It's. It, I like when you do horror and it's tight. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not spending six months being chased around, although that can be interesting too. Yeah. This is just fun. It's nice condensed. It's a good, it's not a bottle film because it takes place in a bunch of locations, but you could tell that it's an affordable film to make. Yeah. It, you and just need a big fog machine. Like it was made for what I think... $1.1 million, including reshoots in 1980. So that's a, like, a decent chunk of change. But it also like it also did really well when it came out. It ran for like 152 weeks or some shit wow. like that. It made a shit ton of money for the time. Wow. So it was a very successful film. Doing some research on it, Carpenter wasn't didn't love his first cut of it. Like He didn't think that it was very good. He felt like there was... I think his words were something like, "I knew in my heart that it wasn't it, that it wasn't working." It's so interesting. I'd love to know what he didn't, what he added. Maybe. Well, I I can tell you three things that I know that he added. He added the opening uh, ghost story. Oh. Yep. 
he added a scene where Jamie Lee Curtis's characters in a morgue while they're talking about the dead guy and the mm-hmm. dead guy w- wakes up and mm. writes three on the floor. Yeah, it was so freaky. Yep. Oh, I can see why he did that. And then he added the end scene where uh, Stevie is chased uh, onto the roof of the radio station by the by the uh, the fog and almost killed uh, as as just another action, little action scene or another suspense scene. That, Interesting. And that is played in parallel with Hal Holbrook uh, as the priest trying to stop the, the lepers hmm. in the church at the end. That's interesting. So as a filmmaker, I can see why he added those scenes that if they weren't there before. Mm-hmm. Because I can see why he added the opening scene of the ghost story because there isn't so much of it that you feel like you've been told the whole story. It's And it's short enough that you kind of forget it exists. Mm-hmm. So it's a good it's a good kind of hors d'oeuvre to the film. Yeah. So I get that. I totally get adding the scene in the morgue for suspense mm-hmm. um, and also to add the three because then it establishes why there's going to be six. So if they bring up the six later and you don't have the three, even though three guys were killed at the beginning, I can see how that would have been just a little bit vague that it'd be a little too confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, though... Him coming back to life in the morgue isn't totally necessary. It's just kind of spooky, so it works. Yeah. And then, and it also works aligning with the beginning of the film with the town kind of getting all rumbly. Mm-hmm. And you're like, why are they, there's no fog, so why is it rumbly? Well, crazy shit happens in this 24-hour period. And then, would you say the last one was, oh, her being intercut. I liked that element. I'm glad they added that because it is more expansive. It means that the fog is bigger than just the one location it keeps going to. It means it could get you anywhere. And she's, and of course it would attack her because she's the one in, in reporting about it. She's the one telling everyone how to get away from it mm-hmm. so that it would send an offshoot towards her and also threaten her as well as her child. There's like a nice symmetry to that. It feels like a bookend. So I think those were really good choices. I can see how that filled it in just an, enough. Yeah, I feel like it works as much for narrative structure as for kind of pacing. Mm-hmm. Because it gives more time to mm-hmm. all the things that we're seeing in a way that expands on the rest of the world. Yeah. Like having her, having Jamie Lee Curtis's character, whose name is Elizabeth, mm-hmm. having Elizabeth be scared by the body just gives you a little bit more of weirdness, but mm-hmm. it also lets you know that, like, one, it lets you know that these dead bodies are not trying to kill the people. They're trying to get what they want, mm-hmm. which is they need three people to die. Or is that dead body warning you of what's to come? Right. I don't know. It could be. Doesn't matter. It, it's just fun and spooky. Really doesn't. Like, it, it's it's one of those bits of, like, it doesn't necessarily need to make any sense mm-hmm. for it to work on the, on the level that it does because there's a lot of shit that that spooks us in the life that we're like, I don't know where that fucking came from. Why does that need to make sense to scare me? Yeah, sometimes it's just a shadow or a weird sound. Yeah. Or my cat tripping me. Yeah. It could be it's, anything. It's a different sort of fear. There's so many. Yeah. But like, it, and even like the end with, uh, uh, with Stevie being chased up onto the roof, I could see how that scene plays without stevie up there and it's almost played like the priest is this self-sacrificing hero and i don't think that that's what the film no wants to say by him Mm-mm. i think it wants to say that he just like the priest needs to die yeah 
like like that the church needs to be punished for stealing stealing gold and hurting communities that need help. Yes. They are not standing up for their quote Christian values mm-hmm. and they must be punished. And he's a representative as the head of the church, therefore he goes. I love that they kill him. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important. I like that they come back, mm-hmm. that it isn't in that moment, but you know, you think, Oh, they saved him and then it's like nope. Yeah. I really like that. And it's not self-sacrifice. Like, no. It's not martyrdom. Like, the film is not interested in giving the priest a martyr's death. Mm-mm. It's interested in giving him the death that the, the lepers want. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Uh, it's a curable disease, so it feel really bad for those people. Even that element of how they handle the priest's death like, applies to a lot of the other things that happen in the film. Because the expectations that we have as an audience, especially the way that we as American audiences are set up to understand characters is kind of subverted in this film. How so? The first person that we see, like the, that shithead who drinks the orange juice at the top of the film. (laughs) It's so gross. Like you see him do something disgusting. You see something horrific start to happen. And you almost like, we are trained to think, Oh, he's going to die. He's going to die now. Like the gas station must be right next door. The gas is going to catch fire and everything's Mm going to explode and he's going to die. I thought that. Right. But he doesn't. And we never see that motherfucker again. No, he's irrelevant. As we should never see that motherfucker again, because he is irrelevant. Mm -hmm. But you take that and you extrapolate it further. You have uh, Lizzie, the Elizabeth character that Jamie Lee Curtis plays. She's hitchhiking Mm -hmm. down the coast, and she gets picked up by some random dude, Nick. Mm -hmm. And he drives her. But she's never shamed or presented as being anything other than... uh, a human being who's a, just hitchhiking to get north. Yeah, a, a girl who comes from wealth, because she says she has a ton of money. She explains that. Uh, or her family does. And she's not shamed for that. We are just we just get bits of information that we can apply to her. Mm-hmm. She has sex with him yeah. that night. And then she they, likes him. And then they exchange names. Yes. The, she, she doesn't yep. even, they don't even know each other's names when they have sex. I know, it's a great little like, nugget and, to pick on. Yeah, and it's... And it explains them, and it also explains the film's view of them, because that happens. They have they have sex, they exchange names, and then the ghosts, the, the lepers come and knock on the door, and as Nick is going to the door, the clock strikes one and the lepers go away, and he doesn't get killed. And she doesn't get killed, even more so, Yeah, at, for having the audacity to have sex, Yeah, which never happens in horror. Right. Once you have sex... You're the whore, and you get sh- you get yeah. slaughtered instantly. And even coming off of uh, Halloween, uh, which was the the feature film that that Carpenter made before this, he made two uh, made for TV movies in between the time he made mm-hmm. uh, Someone's Watching Me and uh, Elvis, and then made this feature. Mm-hmm. So in be- like his last feature theatrical release, punishing women for having sex like punishing anybody for having sex Hmm. and in this film no one's punished for having sex that's refreshing right and then so extrapolating further we have janet lee's character uh mrs williams i believe Mm -hmm. whose husband dies on the boat at the beginning yes her husband and two other people are killed at the boat uh killed on a boat while fishing and drinking and they're just killed they're they're not killed for any specific reason they're just killed they just wander into the fog and the fog gets them not even that. The fog wanders into them. That's true. They're sitting there. They don't see it. And then suddenly they do, which is a great line. Yeah. And so she, like, she is a woman who, 
has a husband who's missing and who later finds out is dead, but she continues to want to do the job that she was doing. Mm -hmm. She's not going, okay, well then I have to go home and do these other things. She doesn't go hysterical and lose her mind and no longer be able to handle anything. She's incredibly practical and strong mm-hmm. and is able to move forward. In fact, says, I have to do this because it's... I ought to do this. Yes, I ought to because it's something to do. And otherwise, I'm going to go home to an empty house and remember that my husband's dead. Right. So thank you, no thank you. And, and I love the word choice of ought because it's it means something incredibly different than I have to do this. Mm-hmm. Because have to is an obligation and then it takes her agency away. Mm-hmm. I ought to makes it her choice mm-hmm. because she recognizes that there are options that she can that she can choose from mm-hmm. and she believes that she that it is in the best interest of her and what she's been planning and trying to do to do this mm-hmm. and i love that for a character because again it gives her agency it gives her uh, assistant agency even though they have a kind of bickering uh, a relationship it almost feels like it's a parent-daughter relationship even though it's not like it's even though they're not it's just there's just a really nice relationship be- between these two women who are working to get this one thing done mm-hmm. and they they feel again very lived in and very like very knowledgeable of what they're both trying to accomplish yeah there's really interesting female characters in this yeah. in this film yeah I, of course, love Stevie. Stevie. Stevie is great. Stevie, again, another person who... Single mom. Yep. A small business owner. Mm-hmm. Running the radio station all on her own. Yep. As a female doing it, must be even harder. Mm-hmm. She's getting definitely sexually harassed by, like, everyone. Yeah. E- e- even our kindly weatherman. Yeah, who's... It- Really just skeevy. Who's just the creepiest fucking guy. Skeevy and St- Stevie. Oh, Stevie no. and the skeevy. Stevie and the skeeve. <laughs> it's their sitcom. It's, bom, 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 it's, bom. it's like a five episode show that people immediately recognize as a bad idea. <laughs> like, oh, it's God. shut down after, after two episodes. Yeah, it's like, it's like nope, this is not uh, Kevin can fuck himself or whatever that show was with the... Uh, uh, with Annie. Oh, I want to see that. Yeah, with the, the uh, whatever her name is from uh, uh, Shit's Creek. Yeah, yeah, I really like her. Mm-hmm. Annie Murphy, I think. Annie Murphy. Yeah. yeah, she's great. Yeah. Anyway, it's like it's not like a, a self aware show. It's just like no, no, the husband's a skeeve. <laughs> no, no, it's just the weather guy. It's the same thing. She's just trying to do the radio, and he's skeevy. It's a half hour show where he's just on the on the phone to her saying in a slightly inappropriate things or trying to get through. She just is busy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's it's an it's a half hour show of her doing radio and ignoring his phone calls. This would have been a great public access show back in the day. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> yeah, just like it's straight up just this. This is a great idea. Yeah. People you're just, welcome. People Somebody just, make it. People just trying to call and talk and you're like, oh, God. Just blocking it. all the numbers. Yeah, fuck you, man. And playing music. It's just, it's a radio program for an hour. That's but, it. But even then, like, the thing that I love about Stevie, and again, the construction of Stevie and the construction of the world around Stevie by by Carpenter and on all the collaborators on this film is that Stevie's not ever shamed for being a single mom who works from it seems 6 p.m to 1 Mm a.m and her son is watched by their neighbor or a nanny it's unclear yeah babysitter it's really unclear who 
what her relationship is. We just she's it does, just the babysitter. Yeah, it it doesn't need it, but she like the babysitter isn't like going the the and she's an uh, she's a, an older woman probably in her 60s and mm-hmm. she's not like saying to Stevie well you better find yourself a husband right no like, like no one ever shames her for the job she has or the the life that she's choosing for herself or how she raises her kid like nobody's telling mm-hmm. her her business or how to handle her business i know they, nobody's mansplaining to her except for maybe the weatherman once in a while right but like which is refreshing right and and he's He's never actually in a scene with her. Mm-mm. Like they're not physically ever in the same location for a scene. They're like the only people that are talking to her about this possibly are the people who are on her phone, not not in her, uh, not up in her physical space. It's really refreshing. Yeah, I like that. I really like the Stevie character. I think she's fun, mm-hmm. smart, interesting. It's it's. And she picks up on it right away. Like yeah. she's really quick to understand that this is a problem, yeah. And that the fog is the issue. And that is something I also love about the film, that people believe it right away. They mm-hmm. don't go, "Well, the fog shouldn't do that." No, 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 no. The, yeah, I mean, the weatherman just does, the weatherman, and then he gets killed. Yeah, but like everybody buys into this supernatural craze real quickly. Mm-hmm. Like Nick and and Elizabeth buy mm-hmm. it. Like like they're driving after he picks her up, and all the windows in his car break Explode. at the same time and and later on the boat when they're when he's searching for his friends who happen to be the people who were killed but also happen to be married one of them being married to to mrs williams when he and elizabeth show up on the boat they notice that all the devices have broken and and elizabeth says does this remind you of something mm-hmm. and they're immediately they're immediately on the same page that something fucking weird is going on and there's not someone who's just being like, well, I don't know. It could be this. Mm-hmm. Like, no, we don't need that. Like, that character doesn't need to be. We, we need don't... to stop writing those characters into yeah. films. The, the character that is the audience, the audience is going to be whoever they want to be within the film. Mm-hmm. And if you present them with enough interesting characters, some of the audience is going to be Elizabeth. Some of the audience is going to be Stevie. Some of the audience is going to be uh, Nick. Some of the audience is going to be the little kid. Like, all of yeah. the, like the let, char- them, let them choose their own identity. Yes, and and give them opportunities, and that's a thing that I think Carpenter does excellently well in this film mm-hmm. is just give you an opportunity to pick and choose who you identify with. Mm-hmm. Like there's like the only the only real drawback to the film is that there's only one African American character in the entirety of the film. Yeah, and he has the best shift at the weather report. Yeah, he has the, the daytime shift. And way he, better. And he gets the fuck out before yeah. anything bad happens. He's, He's out like 10 minutes before shit happens. Yeah. Like, he, like no, no, I, I'm, I'm gone. Good, good luck with all I this. I know. But yeah, there's no diversity Yeah, uh, in this film. Yes. But it also was representative of what a small town like this could be like mm-hmm. at that time in America. I like that the folk horror of it is not about the town being the issue. Mm-hmm but about the past being the issue. Yeah. And I think that's really refreshing. I think sometimes we have issues with films um, in the horror genre of small town being about the small town Mm -hmm. and thus sort of vilify small town life. We often, we also equally over glamorize small town life. I Mm -hmm. think small town life goes both directions and well, so does city. But yeah, I like the fact that it's about the past, that that's the issue. What is Let's scare Jessica to death. Yes. I, that's where the small town is the issue. Or is it? No, it's the, it seems like it's the small town's the issue, but actually it's about the ghost in the house. 
Yeah, the small town knows something. Right. They're like, not telling the newbies. Yeah. Messiah of Evil, the small town is more of the issue. But that's but that's also handled in in a way that it's an outsider versus what's happening and you're learning the creepiness of the world as as it's going on. And Messiah of Evil is a fucking great film. It's a it's a 1970s film. It was made before this. It's more or less been it's kind of obscure. Stephen Thrower wrote about it in his uh, Nightmare USA book, which is a collection of uh, horror films from around America dealing specifically with regional horror, which again, like is a really important thing that we have lost in this monolithic society that we are now moving towards. So if you liked The Fog, which I love, it's a great film. It's really fun to watch. It's really fun to experience with friends. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend it with a crowd. Uh, and if you like this film, there's other folk, folk horror out there that you might like to explore. Let's Scare Jessica to Death, um, Eyes on Fire. Mm-hmm. There's a really great Canadian film called Clear Cut. With Graham Greene. Yeah. Uh, it's so good. This really wonderful box set that uh, Severin put out a, a little over a year ago that has a, a lot of folk horror in it. Uh, you should check that out as well. Mm-hmm. There's a really good documentary mm-hmm. included in that box set that talks, uh, breaks down folk horror in a way that's super informative and interesting and fun. Mm-hmm. Um, Sam Deegan is part of it. Yep. You know, so, of course, we're always trying to promote the work she's doing. So, yeah, that's, that's a really good way to kind of get your intro yeah. to folk horror is that box set from Severin. Yeah. Emily, is there anything that you would like to stumble upon? Yes. Since we're discussing folk horror today, I would like to make a recommendation for a book. And that is an anthology of folk horror, and it's called The Gathering Dark. And I really, really enjoyed it. I got it when we were on the Oregon coast. It was wonderful and spooky when we were in the weather of the Oregon coast, wet and cold and needing a big fireplace. So I crushed it. I loved it. There's some really good stories in there. Um, So I'm going to highly recommend The Gathering Dark. If you're feeling a bit spooky this winter and you need something to encourage you to sit by a fire, even if that fire is simply a fake fireplace on Hulu because you don't have a fireplace, but it's really really good. It's a good book. It's got some good stories in there and you can discover some new female writers that you may never have heard of before. Austin, is there anything you would like to recommend to stumble upon next? Yeah, I watched this film recently called Dr. Lamb, uh, which is a Cat 3 horror film, which... If you don't know anything about Cat 3, Cat 3s are films. There are three categories in in China for making films. One, two, and three. Three is the most maybe explicit. Like mm-hmm. there's... Sort of like R. Yeah, it's hard R. Mm-hmm. Hard R to a- NC-17. It stars Simon Yam, who is a fucking awesome actor, who's in a great film called Election or Triad, and then the sequel Triad Election which are both streaming on the Criterion channel if you want to see something that's more actiony and less insane. But Dr. Lamb is a serial killer film that is unlike almost any American serial killer film. Like you you just don't expect the lengths in which the film is willing to go to show both what he did and also humanize him but also dehumanize him. And do the exact same thing to both the cops that are chasing him. Like, it is a film in which I I really... Like, it's a very interesting film because at the end of it, I, I don't know if I liked anybody, but I really enjoyed the process of not liking anyone. Well, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, they're all fucking awful. And it's, like, it, it's something that comes up when, like, Netflix gets awards for putting out a Dahmer 
documentary or not mm. not documentary television show and you're like oh shit are we glorifying this person and and i realize to some degree that it's not about whether or not we're glorifying it it's whether or not we have a clear understanding of what we think of this mm-hmm. like like what we think of all the trauma that goes around or all the horrors that go around the creation of these people and not saying that they're good or bad or they need our empathy or they don't, but for us to be like, okay, so I see all this shit and now I have these feelings. How am I supposed to deal with them? And then you, and then as a human being, what you should fucking do is go sit there and think about how those feelings are affecting you and then apply them to the moral standards that you live by and move forward. So you're suggesting the film is telling you to come up with your own answers. Yeah, it's laying out an argument for both why the person is this and why they're horrible. Now, take all that information and do something with it, you intelligent, sentient fucking person. Hmm. What a novel idea. Yeah. Again, it's a it's a weird film to like I really enjoyed it and I think that it's it's well worth anybody's time. It's also another film that falls into that like hour and a half or less category Mm. but it's also fucking disgusting and it's all over the place and it's insane but discussing like the laughing woman disgusting no it's more grotesque than that Mm. like the laughing woman which is also a very good film uh it is more psychologically traumatizing really traumatizing and this is like like there's this really weird scene where he like the the simon yam has killed a woman and he's taking her back to his house and he's he lives with his family. So he had to hide her in the basically the pull out couch like underneath it. No way. Like, like he actually pulls out the couch, puts her in the body. And it's, then not, just... it's not a couch. It's like a uh, it's a chest in the middle of the room oh. that like he puts the body in. And then because he works as a taxi driver at night and he only kills when there's rainfall. And then he puts the the lid down like he he hides her in there. The, the family wakes up. They go to their day and then he drags her to the to their shared bathroom and then he tries to cut her up. But first, the knife he uses isn't good enough and it spurts blood on him. So he, so he then goes and buys a like a circular saw to cut her up and that doesn't work. And so then he gets <laughs> and then he gets medical books like to figure out how to like get a scalpel and like cut her up properly oh, God. and like blood gets on him and it's really disgusting and really disturbing. And you're like, this is like, I don't know if this is fun, is but it's also like Mormon collar. No, it's okay. like, it is not Mormon collar at all. Like it's, it's pitched at a level that if you think what I just said might sound funny, but also disturb you and that you're into that, that's the film for you. So it's okay. Yeah. I picking up what you're dropping. It's like, it, it threads a very specific needle for a very specific type of person. And I fear I've become one of those people that's like, no, no, that's my needle. Like, okay. that's a specialty needle. We use it only very, very fre- well, infrequently. Like, don't put it into the sewing machine because it's going to break. It's all fake. Yeah, it is. So it's okay. Yeah. And, and Simon Yam, like, he's, like, you've probably seen him in something. If you've ever seen, like, a John Woo film or any film from the 90s that had action bent that was Chinese like there's a good chance that he showed up in some capacity Hmm. he's just a really fucking lovely actor who gives it his all and you're like that guy did not sell us short well that sounds very interesting yeah and I'm excited about this recommendation. Yeah. Thank you again for, for listening to us talk about The Fog, a film that has lived with me for a very long time. 
and is relatively new to me over the last few years, but I really, really enjoyed it, and I look forward to watching it again. As always, you can find us on Instagram at Fishtown Films or on Twitter-ish. At Fishtown Films. Not really on Facebook. I haven't been on that in like four or five years, so. What's Facebook? I don't know. Just find us on Instagram where we'll post in our stories what the next film will be that we'll talk about on the podcast. And always, we recommend that you check out our film, Citywide, which came out on December 5th. We would love it if you rented it or purchased it and watched it and then tell us what you think. DM us. Let us know what you think of the film. Mm -hmm. It is available for all of our listeners with a 50% discount, Stumble Upon. You can see it in our show notes. Use that discount buy or rent the film and bring a bunch of friends over make popcorn drink big glasses of wine and enjoy our very fun hangout film so thank you for being here today thank you for chatting with us have a wonderful day